0: Hey, everybody. It's Robert Gardner with the Robert Gardner Wellness Podcast. Today, I've got Todd Olson and Sean Rolf. Did I pronounce that correctly, guys? Yes, you did. Yes. I always ask. I, names, there's no standardization <laughs> for a pronunciation. We're going to talk about uh, hog hunting and crop and land management. I would love for you gentlemen to educate me further and also educate the audience about what you do. Again, at any time, your website is just above you, and then your social media, mainly your Facebook and Instagram links are right below you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having
2: us.
0: So tell me what you guys are dealing with and what you want the public to know about hog hunting. This has been a great, grand experiment for me so far, and I've had a lot of fun talking to hog hunters.
2: I'll tell you, Robert, from what started out as just sport for us, uh, quickly turned into us identifying that there were issues throughout all of Texas, of course, but especially up around in the Denton County area where we live with hogs, absolutely the destroying hay land, crop land, and, and just making a mess out of everything for landowners throughout the county. So as we identified that, started talking to the landowners letting them know what our services entail and really trying to put a dent in that population
1: for them.
0: And that's worked well
3: so far. Oh, it's been great. I mean, these, these landowners and these these ranchers and farmers, they love us. They've noticed a a little bit of a drop um, in in the hog activity, the hog sightings on their property, the hog damage. We've got a couple of smaller pieces of property, uh well several smaller pieces of property that uh, were overrun with hogs and uh, we've been able to pretty much keep the hogs off them for about the last 2 months. The damage that these hogs create. Land
0: management I mean, taking care of people's hogs are happy for you to be there.
3: You do it for yeah, free. I mean it's 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 one of those things where they're, you know, they'd be out, you know, driving their tractors across their hay fields and it felt like somebody was you know, setting speed bumps out there. I mean, it's just like these hogs go out and they just till this land and dig holes and, and create issues and problems. We've got video footage of hogs uh, chasing calves, you know, chasing coyotes. I mean, these hogs are just brutal.
0: Yeah, when I found out, that's the first time I'd ever heard that again. As somebody who's not a hunter, not dealing with land management here in Texas, when I started hearing that, I was like, oh man, just so many layers of the hogs causing problems for farmers, and ranchers, landowners, and then how do they deal with this really pernicious issue? They've got all the the usual problems that a farmer has because a cow gets out of the fence or whatever, but adding that to the top of the list and thinking that hogs could actually kill calves was new to me.
3: Well, and and one of the things too is, so Sean and I went out to a property uh, a few months back and we were talking to the, land, the landowner and uh, he says, well, I don't really think we have a hog problem, but you guys are more than welcome to to check it out. And I said, well, you've got corn and you've got a river right here. You've got hogs. And he said, well, just go out and see what you guys can do, but we don't really see them. Well, we got out there the night that we went out there to to look it over. The guy who leases the land had corn on it. And uh, he was so happy to see us. He said that he actually had somebody come in with a drone and fly over the cornfield. And he said that a third of his corn is gone. He yeah. said he's gonna have to you know, file a claim for uh, crop insurance. And that night we went out there, we were only out there a little over two hours and we killed 17 hogs in two hours. And that was uh, just groups of two or three. We didn't even see any big groups. They, the hogs just kept coming. They kept coming out of the river bottom into the corn and they just destroy so much. And that's the trickle down effect. You know, when the, when the farmer has a loss, it's just like anything, supply and demand, prices go up.
0: The only time I remember encountering this, there's a, a Richardson's farm north of Austin. Here, I forget what small town in Texas it's in. And I grew up in Louisiana, so we get like a huge amount of rainfall in South Louisiana and Baton Rouge. And when I went to his farm and was learning about his more sustainable, you know, hog raising, he said he mentioned that it was a dryland farm, and I didn't know. I was like, dry land? I was like, seems like most of t- central Texas is kind of dry. And then he had, like, cornfields where they would plant corn and let it, you know, grow. But what I come to find out was it it just meant it wasn't irrigated. So they would let the corn get to a certain size, and he would set his hogs loose through the cornfields to go ahead and eat whatever corn had grown. So that's the only connection I currently have to what you just said. Like, I can't imagine the scale. And when I talked to Jeremy Jeremy was saying that some you know, farmers think that essentially like 50% of their crops would be gone if they didn't manage their hog problem. Oh, 100%.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. This, this particular gentleman had to file an insurance claim for that field. He lost uh, about $30,000 just on that one field.
3: Well, and another, another one of our farmers that were doing... Land protection on <clears throat> he he's got several milo fields and he figured the same thing he figured it was his losses uh, this year were between thirty and forty thousand dollars just to hogs. So they they just get in and they just destroy everything.
2: Yeah, it's unbelievable. But the one thing you got to keep in mind is, is we're not eliminating the hog problem. Yeah, uh, we're we're controlling it uh, and we're controlling it because hogs are smart. I mean, you gotta give them a little bit of credit because they're, they're not an easy animal to hunt. And we're pushing them off of those properties because we're there so much doing the controlled shoots and, and taking care of them, but they'll be back. If, if we don't continue to check it and follow up, those, those pigs will come right back to it after a couple months of no pressure.
3: Well, and I don't, one thing that I don't think people realize is how fast hogs can populate. You know, you take an adult breeding pair of hogs, you know, a sow and a boar, and uh, she drops, you know, between six and 12, maybe 15 babies, you know, two, two and a half to three times a year. And those babies, you know, they have a, they have about a four month gestation period. So four months she's pregnant, she's dropping babies. Three months after that, those babies become uh, fertile. So they can become pregnant. So it just, it absolutely just starts magnifying. And one adult breeding pair of hogs can produce a hundred hogs a year. You know, through their babies and, and, and the way it multiplies, there's a hundred hogs out of, just, out of just two. So you, you take these groups, you know, we'll see groups of, the biggest group we saw was 300, but we'll take a, a group of, you know, 30, 40, 50 pigs. Imagine how many hogs they can produce out of just that one group on one piece of property. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And they just overrun everything, you know, and what a lot of guys don't realize too, a lot of these deer hunters, you know, those hogs will run those deer right off their feeders. They'll run them right off that land. I mean, they, they take over. They are the alphas out there. I uh,
0: mentioned this to Jeremy again, as a, as a novice. I, when I thought about hog hunting and I was learning from you guys, one of the things I was struck by is I don't think of squirrel hunting and the squirrel potentially attacks you. Or deer hunting and the deer potentially attacks you. Hog hunting had a little edge to it
3: because I was like, it's possible.
0: <laughs>
3: it is. We've we've had it happen. Yeah. We've we've had them come at us, and you know, especially if we take out a, a group of clients, we don't we don't let them go into the bush. They don't go into the brush. They don't go into the river bottoms. We do that, and we've had we've had several chargers. Over over the last few years, and that's why we carry tactical shotguns when we go into the brush. Yeah, because you just you just never know.
0: (laughs) the The background I have is more along uh, what I told you guys is more like the food side, more of a foodie looking for food ingredients, a lot of uh, farm to table kind of stuff here in Austin. And then when I started thinking about Texas Hog Hunters, the Facebook group. It was trying to, to find out more because I realized I could get food ingredients that I'd never had. And I was like wild pork. I don't respond as well to farm pork these days, like commercially raised CAFO pork on corn or whatever, doesn't extremely sit well with me. So I'd been buying more from local farms. And then I thought about it and it's like in Louisiana, the problem is nutria. Yeah. Nutria are invasive, they've been trying to get Cajuns to eat them for years, and I suspect they haven't come up with the right recipe or something because people aren't that interested. But with wild hogs, I was like, hmm, so you can take care of a pest problem. There seemed to be good eating compared to what I'm told. And then it was like when I started talking to people in the, the hog group and realizing the stuff people were making out of the hogs they were hunting – it was food items that I couldn't purchase in a store or couldn't purchase technically in a restaurant. So it it piqued all my, my curiosity. What do you guys find when you have people coming in for hunts, they're paying you to, I think, be guides essentially to take them out for the hog hunts Hmm. are, are most people like what parts of the animal are you guys harvesting?
2: Well, it depends on the client and their expertise on being able to cook that animal. Obviously the back strap, which is the loin and the pork chops of the animal are, are very good. They're they're If you get the right size pig, they, they taste, I, I think better than store bought. You know, you get the front shoulders, good for smoking, pulled pork, things like that. And then the back quarters are the hams. You know, if, it, if it's the right size pig, which would be around 60 to 80 pounds, you can put that whole thing on the smoker and have an awesome meal for a week. But uh, you get those bigger pigs, the bigger, uh, especially, you know, the big boars that are 150, 200 pounds. Uh, they can cut, sometimes get a little stinky. So, you know, we, we pretty much got it figured out when you walk up to the pig after you shoot it, based on the smell, if it's gonna be worth keeping or not.
0: Ah, interesting. Yeah, see, and that, I know for you guys, that might just be common knowledge. For me, that's the stuff that the other hog hunters, the little details you give me that I'm like, wow, I don't, I'm a a city kid. I I don't smell animals. I'm not around animals all the time to even think about picking up an aroma before the animal is harvested and how that's going to affect the meat is like the complete little nuance that I find so interesting. I have...
2: You can also tell Robert by by when you cut the animal open the color of the meat you know some 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 boars or older pigs get really really dark meat and it it just it's too gamey it's too too rank to eat you know, but if you cut it open and it looks like normal meat you know fresh then then they're normally good to eat
3: there are there are a couple of things you can do too, you know, like we shoot a lot of pigs over two hundred fifty pounds. And those big 250 pound pigs, you know, that, that's where you get those older, tougher, gamier type animals. But we shoot a lot of pigs in that, like Sean was saying, 175, 200 pound range. And a lot of times the clients will be like, well, you know, I really want to get some back straps or some shoulders, but I don't want it to taste gamey. Yeah. Well, throughout, you know, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pigs that we've processed and ate ourselves if you take uh, your meat and put it in a in a cooler with ice water and you just keep adding ice to it and you put a cup of lemon juice and a cup of vinegar in there it'll like in for about 24 hours it'll draw all that out of that meat and take away a lot of that gaminess so then you can use you know the the back straps and shoulders out of some of the bigger pigs but it's like sean said if we walk up on a pig and it and it stinks right away we're like we're not even messing with it. We just haul them off to to our little kill spot that we, that we leave all of our dead ones. And, you know, it's funny because sometimes we'll get into these draws or into these small fields and we'll smell the pigs before we see them. You know, we'll just, we'll stop and you'll get that kind of pungent. It's, 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 it's really strange because sometimes these pigs, in my opinion, they, they smell almost like a maple syrup, like, like pan, like a, like a stinky pancakes, you know, syrup. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we can smell them a lot of times before we even see them. Yeah, the the, the food side of it, when
0: I talked to Daryl, uh, Daryl talked about making pancetta and a few other things. And the, the processing side, as somebody who's interested in food and cuisine, I think my edge, if I went out into the woods and figured out with you guys the hunting, is like trying to figure out how to take that gamey meat and see if, quote unquote, there's a way to salvage it. I, I appreciate a challenge, and I think the diversity because you can't treat it like farm pork. Essentially, like right. you know, you guys aren't making. I, I found this out. I had to ask. Like if you could make lard, and they're like, yeah, typically they don't they don't have enough fat to make lard, or you know, something like a pork belly to be able to make bacon. They just right. don't have enough fat typically to be able to do that. So if you're dealing with a leaner cut with a gamier flavor, then it's like, well, how do you prepare it? That's some of the the artistry that goes along I've realized more when I've talked to other hog hunters and people dealing with land management how much Steve Renella's show meat eater influenced me oh, yeah, I didn't realize how deeply he made me interested in hunting in in the, the biggest way because it wasn't just you know running out in the woods with guns there was that part of it where it's fun but there was this wide path of sustainability, ecology, knowing about the animals and the land and the cycles, uh, the culture that goes along with it. And he always seemed to be very respectful of that. And as somebody interested in food in Texas, I just kept going, man, carnitas, <laughs> Tac- tacos. <laughs> There's, it's like, it seems like... <clears throat> For me, the most quintessentially Texan thing in the world to be able to harvest some deer, you know, harvest a wild hog and be able to make Texas style food for your friends and family. It's part of the cultural side that I'm so interested in. So when you guys even talk about, you know, the smell of the hogs or those sorts of things, I think Daryl in particular was saying that he just felt like, just a little bit, like he was kind of boring me. And I'm like, man, my synapses are going off. Like this is the most <laughs> interesting stuff to me. It's completely outside of my frame of reference for what I deal with with food. So it's just supremely uh, amazing and
2: geeky to me. Yep. Yeah. well with, with uh, whatever animal you ever harvest, the, the quickest thing you can do to preserve that meat and to make it a, a good meal later on down the road is to get that meat cooled down as quick as you can. You have to gut that animal and you have to get the hide off. Get that meat on ice within you know, 30, 40 minutes and it's gonna change the whole flavor profile of what that animal tastes like.
0: And why is that? Because
2: the, the heat, so the, the hide actually holds the heat into the carcass, into the bones, into the meat. And uh, you know, If if it's not an instant kill, that animal's going to dump a lot of adrenaline and get a lot more blood into its muscular system. And you want to, you want to minimize the amount of blood in that meat as much as you can. And that's what cooling it down does is it, it keeps, keeps all that blood from soaking into that animal and giving it that gamey, harsh taste. Yeah.
0: When, when you, when you take down a hog, are you typically going for the headshot? Is that the preferred method? Or is it going towards the heart?
2: It, it just depends on the shooter. We take a lot of new shooters out, people that's never hunted before. So uh, on them, we've got three three spots that we'll show them. You know, obviously we're using a weapon system that's, that'll take a pig down pretty much anywhere you hit it. But uh, a headshot is good if you're conf- confident in your ability to make that shot. Shoulder shot or a heart shot, you know, heart lungs are, are usually pretty good kill shots for us too.
0: So many uh, factors, so you, you take down the hog, let's say you had a good clean headshot, the rest of the hogs in my opinion, or I guess, just scatter, right? Like if you had 10 right. hogs in a field, you shoot one, the rest of them just run for, I mean it's probably almost impossible to shoot
3: them while they're on the move, right? No, you know, we do it all the no. time. No. no, you're like no, nope. a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you figure like with our guns, they're they're all tripoded up, so we've got tripods for all of our guns, and you're not really having to worry about your gun, you know, bouncing around. It's just actually pivoting and following the pigs, and then you're just you've got to figure out how how far to lead them as far as how fast they're running. Yeah, but and a lot of times too, you know, most of these pigs don't have uh, very good endurance, so if you can get them out into a big field, they'll only run so far before they start slowing down or walking or, or maybe they'll even stop Yeah. so you can get follow-up shots on them.
2: Cause we hunt at night only pretty much. And we use thermal scopes. So it's like daylight at night and we can, we can see them very clear and they get confused on what's happening. Yeah. So a lot of times they'll just run in circles. They don't know where <laughs> to go. They don't know what's going on. So, I mean, it, it gives you plenty of shot opportunities to uh, take down as many as you can.
0: Yeah. It's just so, so interesting to me. I know that when I was originally in the hog group, I didn't understand uh, why everybody was hunting like it was predator. I don't know why they're using infrared and night vision. to. And then I went,
3: they're only hunting or mostly hunting the hogs at night. And I went, oh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's when they're most active. I mean, now when it cools off, they'll start coming out earlier and earlier. but. In the middle of the summer, uh, most of our activity was between one and three a.m. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it, when it's hot out, they just don't they just don't want to move. They're down in the draws and in the low spots. They just don't want to move when it's hot.
1: Yeah, just hot.
0: Yep. yep. Yeah, so many, so many questions. So you don't need a hunting license. I found out for hogs. And then, as somebody who's an aspiring hunter, doesn't know a lot about weapons, you have to have, like, a gun safety course to even be able to purchase a gun in Texas, right? No. No. So, anybody can just go in and buy a gun, as long as you got, like, ID? Yeah,
2: you can, and there's a federal background check that you have. Federal background
0: check. Okay, let's see. So, you don't have to have a hunting license to buy the weapon, And then you have to have a hunting license to be able to shoot or hunt certain game like deer, things like that. There's no tag system because there's no laws on like hunting hogs. Is there like a tag system for deer? Yes, there is. There is. And then how does that work real quick? I know that's venturing off from hogs, but I'm just trying to contrast what happens with hog hunting.
2: Yeah, so you have to you have to pass a hunter safety course in the state of Texas to, to get your license. And then you can just go to any license handler, academy, Walmarts, a lot of local gas stations in your smaller towns, and buy a Texas Wildlife and Game hunting license. Depending on the license you get, it will include, I think, four deer tags, four turkey tags, a mule deer, antelope. I mean... You get the super combo. It includes fishing and all that.
0: Yeah, interesting. The rules related to hogs and the reason that there's no season for hogs, or you don't even need a hunting license, was that because farmers or people who aren't even hunters just had to take out a hog and it had to have a sort of legal precedent so they could kill the animal without having to have a hunting. License? I don't know if it's
2: that or just the as as often as they populate to try to keep that population down because you know if if there weren't guys like us out there just doing what we're doing and and there's thousands of great hog hunters out there and and guys that really know what they're doing too if it weren't for guys like us i mean you literally would see texas overrun with hogs yeah they have no natural predators.
3: Well, and it's no. funny because you get into even some of these higher-end neighborhoods, you know, that have, you know, like say they're, they're around one of the lakes and uh, there's million-dollar houses in these neighborhoods. They've got a little bit of wildlife area, you know, in between that, uh, that the state has set out. You know, they'll have hog problems. There's a, a high-end neighborhood right in Flower Mound that actually had to hire somebody to come in and trap these hogs out because these hogs were coming into these million dollar homes and destroying their yards. Yeah. These, these things are, they're a huge problem. Oh, they what, have I've, no boundaries. what I've discovered is
0: Texas hogs don't care about your laws. No, they no, <laughs> do not. We do not <laughs> Yeah, even uh, the, the pork police, I had moments where the cops theme song was playing through my head, you know, just just <laughs> laughing about uh, dealing with hogs in Texas. How did you guys uh, get involved in the work that you do? What's the history
3: on that? Well, we, we both have <laughs> hunted forever Okay. And, uh, and hunted all kinds of stuff. We've ate just about everything. And, you know, I'm in, the, I'm in the, the thermal and night vision sales, guns and ammo sales. And Sean uh, is a manager at a local gun store. And it's one of those things where we, uh, we love to hunt. And yeah. we started hunting and we realized that we were having such unbelievable success. And we've done some, some guiding and some different things throughout the years. But uh, we d- didn't really think about, you know, hey, this could be a full-time gig. And as we started going out and all of our buddies wanted to go with us and then a friend of a friend wanted to go with, and the more hunting we started doing and the success that we were having, people were like, Hey, I've got a buddy who wants to go out and he'll pay you to take him out because most of these people either don't have land access or they go on to state land and they have limited success in a lot of state land. They won't let you hunt at
2: night. So... And that is the only exception to having a license for hog hunting. If you're hunting state property, you do have to have a hunting license.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, just those little nuance. That's yep. ideal for me to like find out more about legally how stuff is structured and set up.
3: Sure. Yeah. yeah, like we, we've talked to a couple of game wardens because we know of a, a few areas of state land that have had uh, or that do have a, a heck of a hog problem and they border on some of these ranches. And when you talk to the game warden and ask them, hey, you know, is hunting at night with thermals allowed? Everyone that I've talked to said no. No hunting at night on state land. And so these guys that don't have access to either uh, their own property or or some landowner giving them permission to hunt, they're pretty limited on, on the amount of hog hunting they can do. You know, you go on state land, some of it's archery and shotgun, most of it will not let you hunt at night. So they're, they're limited on what they can do. Are We've there, just been fortunate, you know, as far as we, we got in with uh, with a couple of the right landowners and then they start talking to their friends and their buddies and their, you know, other, other ranchers in the area. And it just, it just multiplies because uh, all of these guys, all of the landowners, ranchers and farmers want the hogs gone.
0: I, I got the sense in conversation that one of the challenges was establishing relationships with the farmers or ranchers to let people onto their land. Absolutely, but once you had developed that relationship, the the hunter seemed to treat it like it was gold. Like, what what can I do for you, Mister Farmer Rancher? Because well, absolutely, want to maintain that connection.
3: Hundred percent, and I think I think what's happened a lot of times, and what we've talked to some of our landowners about is they'll say, well, you know, I've let guys hunt this in the past, and they come out here and they're drinking beer and throwing beer cans all over the ground and they're leaving their wrappers and their garbage behind. And, you know, you just like, like with us, the biggest thing with us when we talk to a landowner is we'll tell them you'll never even know we were here. I mean, we, we, we go out, we don't leave anything behind. They, they'll never know we were there.
2: Yep. Yeah, Just respect the property, respect their, you know, what, what they're allowing us to do. And what we're doing for them is it's a win-win situation.
0: Yeah. Property rights in Texas are something that when I moved from Louisiana, there's just a certain, I don't know how to explain it. There's just a certain ethic in Texas about it's my land. I do what I want on my land, sort of Texas (laughs) freedom. Like we get a lot of mockery from, from other states, but I think it's hard for people out of state to realize geographically how broad and large Texas is. Where are you guys actually uh, located?
2: We're doing most of our hunting about 25, 30 minutes north of uh, Dallas up in Sanger, which is part of Denton County. Okay.
0: Do you find that the hogs in your area are tastier than maybe somewhere else that you've hunted because of like their
2: forage? It definitely depends on what their diet is, on yeah. how they taste. So, you know, we've got one property with no crops where the pigs are living off of the acorns and pecans and things like that. And then we have other properties where it's corn or milo. And and there's a difference. There's a big difference between those those two uh, properties on what the pigs taste like
0: do you do you prefer one of the other
2: of course the crop, crop, <laughs> crop
0: and is it because do you think it's a higher fat content because of the commercial crops that they're eating
2: it is you can tell when you clean them they do have uh, more fat in fact those pigs we cleaned the other night were just i mean thick they, they yeah. probably had a half inch fat around them uh, yeah. as opposed to quarter to eighth inch of fat
0: It's so, so interesting to me, Um, driving down to uh, South Texas, uh, Brownsville, McAllen area, different regions of Texas, and then how that allows the hogs to hide, what's the geography, the cropland or ranch land that they've got access to. There's uh, so much diversity just in Texas itself, so it was interesting to find out that hunters preferred in some regions— And I hate to say this, but it was like they they preferred the way the hogs tasted when they were on commercial crops, probably because they were just getting more to eat.
3: Yep. Well, and I think it's similar to, uh, you know, grass, grain-fed, corn-fed beef. You know, there's there's a reason why they, you know, you'll take some grazing cattle and you'll corn them up or grain them up for a month or two before you slaughter them. You know, it it changes the, 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 the taste and texture of that meat. And... You know, you you really notice that a lot of guys who don't, some guys don't eat hogs, but you can really notice it with these deer hunters. A deer hunter will prefer a deer that is uh, on commercial uh, crops over one that's just out, you know, eating brush, you know,
1: big difference.
0: Yeah. And then also, I guess
1: the, the age of the animal. Right. Yeah. The older they
3: get, the tougher they get. There. we shoot a lot of big big boars. <clears throat> you know they'll have big old big old cutters on them and just big nasty boars. and a lot of those will give off a pretty strong odor and that's where sean was saying when you when you cut into them if you cut into them you'll see that meat is is a lot darker a lot a uh, lot coarser looking meat when you
0: guys go out are you typically taking or trying uh, attempting to take like a certain number of hogs so Let's say you, you take out 10, are you just harvesting a couple of them and just leaving the rest?
2: It depends on our clients. Us personally, we're pretty picky on the ones we keep and some of them, yeah, we'll leave them lay. You know, it, it's kind of a shame there's not food banks out there or meat processors that will take take the pigs because, I mean, we, we would definitely gut them and take them somewhere and drop them off if there was a place that would use that meat. But there's just not, not any place, at least around here, that would do something like that.
3: Yeah. I think that there's just too many guys that would sit there, you know, guts in and bloat too long or or not uh, not properly care for that meat. When we're out, we've got a cooler, you know, full of ice and and bags and and everything. We we cut and bag and ice the meat right away if if the hunters want the meat. And I think uh, one of the reasons why you can't just go out and donate the meat is because I guess if guys are not getting paid to do it. If they're like, oh, we'll just go shoot some hogs and give them away. You know, what are they? What are they doing to properly prepare that meat before they give it away for somebody to eat?
0: Yeah, f- food and food inspection. I, I didn't realize Jeremy had some photos, and when he put his photos up, it was just—I mean, t- to me, again, somebody who's not a hunter, it was almost shocking to see just. Stacks of pigs.
3: Yeah, because you know, he had this yeah. moment
0: where you're like, dude, this is this is absurd. What is this bloodlust? You know? And then you 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 talk to him and you go, It's they're like rats. There's too many of them. They're causing ecological harm. They're hurting the farmers and their crops. And then you go, Oh. But then you get to the point where he's talking about the challenges in relation to he wishes he could give the meat away, there was a way to process. You know, they're they're doing what they can, but there's only so much uh, time uh, available and so much resources for that meat to be able to give into the needy families, things like that. There's so many things in relation to this. One of the things I run into in my industry, I'm a massage therapist by trade of all things, and everybody thinks my industry is full of rainbows and unicorns, and I'll tell you what it's full of. Regulation and bureaucracy and red tape. It's like, (laughs) I go to Arkansas and you can't do this. And I go to Louisiana and you can't, can't do this like uh, again and again. So it's interesting to see it in another industry with completely different issues and how it affects the, you know, average farmer's, you know, life. Jeremy was talking about the fact that he's like, we don't have enough freezer space. He's like, it's not possible. Like we go out and these these farms, you know, are like, you need to take care of the hog problem. He's like, That's why
3: they're stacked up like that.
1: Yep. Exactly.
3: Did well, we- and the other the other one of the other problems is that is coyotes. When you're talking about like uh, cattle ranches with their calves coyotes and what we will typically do is we've got areas that we if, if the guys don't want to keep the hogs if they don't want any hog meat they just want the experience of going through the hunt we'll pile our hogs up in certain areas and then we'll come back uh the next night and shoot coyotes on
0: them. Uh, so you're using the 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 hogs as like trap meat essentially
3: basically. yes and, and and quite often too you'll see and this sounds kind of gross, but you'll see hogs eating on hogs. Yeah. So I mean, you yeah, know, when people you is, up, you can come back and get hogs or coyotes. On. Yeah,
0: uh, hogs and chickens. People think chickens are you know completely herbivorous, and it's like <laughs> chickens eat what chickens can get. You know, that's it's, right. It's like a, a different different setup. That doesn't. That's not new to me. That, that one I'm a little more familiar with, but sure. I think it's also dependent on like the hog's food supply, just like any animal. I'm sure they've got preferred foods if they can get a hold of it. And if they had a choice between living on acorns or going digging up a farmer's peanuts, they're like, no, those peanuts are tasty. <laughs> yeah, right? We're yeah.
1: So, so many questions.
0: There's this other side of Texas that feels like it was right under my nose but completely hidden. And I've been completely amazed at having the conversation with hog hunters, the challenges they face. What, is, what are some of the more controversial issues amongst hog hunters that hog hunters might have disagreements about between each other? Hmm. So what warfarin came in. Was Warfarin, am I pronouncing that correctly? Like yeah. poisoning the hogs? Yeah. Uh, somebody else mentioned is it sodium nitrite as a, a potential poison.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think poisoning's the way to go because there are other things that live on the hogs after they die. Yep. So you're not just going to poison pigs; you're going to poison the coyotes. You're going to poison the the buzzards. You're going to. I mean, there's yeah. there, there's a whole line of stuff that's going to fall into that poison line.
0: Hunting and trapping.
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that when you're using poison, it's just there's no way to
3: regulate it. There's not a a product out there that as for say just the hogs will eat. Yeah, you know, it's not like you're putting something out that that a deer or a coyote or or birds or whatever are gonna get into and say, oh, that doesn't taste good. I'm not gonna or doesn't smell good. I'm not gonna eat that. You know, yeah. you, there's no way to control what's gonna eat on that.
2: You know, as, as technology grows, I mean, th- there are effective ways of trapping. You know, there's electronic traps where you can be watching on a cell phone cam and, and drop a trap door or drop a net or things like that where you can capture, you know, multiple pigs at once. But those, like I said, those pigs are smart, and they're going to figure out that's a trap, and they're not going to go in it anymore. You know, I've been hunting pigs for years, and I've tried several different methods, you know, hunting during the day. Hard to see, hard to find, hard to, you know, locate. Hunting at night, hunting over a feeder, sitting there in one spot, just hoping they come in with a little green light. Um, I mean, there's different different methods of taking them. And some guys are successful, some guys aren't. But when it comes to the technology side of things, when you're using a thermal scope and you're able to identify, hey, there's an animal half a mile away, let's go see what it is. And you roll up on it. And that one animal turns into a whole group of pigs. Now you're on the pigs and now you're making a difference. And now you're able to put a dent in the population in that immediate area, as opposed to crossing your fingers and hoping they show
1: up.
0: Yeah. I'm a uh, generally pro technology though in the woods hunting at night with night vision is new to me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, You'll have to make the
2: trip up here and go out with us, and we'll we'll show you what a difference it makes.
0: I mean, I, I see some of the video, and it looks like almost clear as day; like it's it easy is. to to see the animals. When when you pick out a sounder, so they've they've come into the field or whatever, you got ten or so hogs. Do you usually choose like the size of the hog based on what you're looking for in meat at that time?
2: It depends on our clients and how many clients we have. We'll take up to. Five guys out at a time. And at that point, it's all about safety. We want to make sure everybody's safe on their guns. Like I said, we get a lot of new shooters. So we'll line everybody up. The guys on the outside take the outside pigs. The guys on the inside of the line get to pick their pigs out as far as that goes. So if we, if we show up and it's one big pig, everybody aims at the pig. You know, we want to drop it. But the, uh, when we're on a group like that, we're really watching, you know, people's field of, of shooting. You know, if you're in the middle, you can only shoot like this far. If you're on the end, you got a little bit bigger range of motion. So it, it's not about picking out the pigs. It's it's about killing as many as you can.
3: Yeah. Out of, well, out of one the group. of the things, too, is, is you know, when we get on these big groups, if somebody says, uh, you know, hey, I'd like, a, I'd like a pig to put on the smoker. Okay, then then you then you choose a smaller to a little under medium sized pig. But like Sean was saying, when we get on them, it's, it's about smacking as many as you can. And we like, the, the landowners that we work for, we like to get out and take out those big sows and boars. So that way we're, you know, trying to cut down that breeding process. So we like to take out some of the bigger ones first. But it just depends on what a guy wants to eat, you know. Yeah or if he wants to eat them.
0: At a distance, because of night hunting, night vision, can you typically tell the boars from the sows?
2: Not really.
1: Not unless you you get real
3: close. Yeah.
2: A lot of the sows, though, will run in groups. The boars are typically by themselves. You see a lone pig out there just wandering around. Nine times out of ten, it's going to be a big, or not a big boar, but a boar
0: when when you're hunting is there a preferred millimeter shell uh weapon of choice that you guys are using again i don't know anything about guns i know that you got it on a, a tripod there is that preferred is like is that semi-automatic
2: yep it is a semi-automatic ar style when you get into calibers though everybody's got their opinion on okay. what's best you know each caliber has different bullet weights different you know types of bullets full metal jacket soft points hollow points I mean, there, there's so many different variables into and different choices when it comes to calibers and and what's effective for us. We we seem to steer towards a, a 308 caliber and also a 300 blackout. Uh, a blackout bullet is the same platform as like a, a 556, five, but it's a heavier bullet and it hits harder. Yeah. So that's what you you want something that's going to hit those pigs hard and knock them down. There are other great calibers out there, 6.5 Creedmoor, 6.5 Grendel. I mean, it, it, that that's a good way to start up a uh, storm on a, on a <laughs> Facebook page. I finally get the
0: controversy,
2: yeah. Yeah, here, here's the best round. Because well, I, the best round is what works for you.
3: Well, and the thing is, too, is we're not, especially hunting at night, we're not taking 200-yard shots. You know, we're, there, there's a lot of times we'll get within 30 yards of a group of pigs. I mean, we're we're right up on top of them. We try to get all of our clients within 60 yards, and it just depends on what the wind is doing, how the pigs are moving. You know, there's no, no need to, at night to take long-distance shots like that. You know, and I've heard all kinds of <laughs> different things and read things on Facebook. These guys are, everybody's talking about shot placement, and everybody's like, oh, I just shoot them in the ear hole. Well, the sun shines on a dog's butt every once in a while. <laughs> so, yeah, you you can take him in the ear hole, but when you're talking about a, an animal that's out there moving around or even a still animal, you know, for somebody to be able to, to, especially with a thermal, to be able to to pinpoint a, a small area on a hog, it, it does happen, but the, the amount of guys that you say that they shoot them in the ear hole, most of that's luck. Yeah.
0: yeah. There was an episode of a uh, Meat Eater, and it was just – Again, these little nuances. This is it's completely new terrain to me. To, to so to see hunters have a little disagreement. They were hunting squirrel, and Steve Rinallo looked like he was using a twenty-two caliber, I think, rifle. Mm-hmm. And then his compatriots were using like some sort of shots that that spread. And mm-hmm. Steve Rinallo kind of took like he didn't want the shot because he was worried about people's teeth and little pellets in the squirrel or whatever. And I was like, oh. oh, sure. oh. And see, it's, it again, uh, City Kid, it's something I just don't think about, but I understood, you know, why he was going with that, you know, word about people's teeth. And then, you know, you're trying to eat a squirrel, <laughs> which is a little bit of meat to begin with, but then having little pellets in it probably isn't
2: ideal. Yep, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a difference in what calibers and what type of guns you want to use based on what you're going to be doing.
1: No, no. You get a squirrel. You get a squirrel on the move. A shotgun
3: is the weapon of choice, <laughs> you, you know. And and you're gonna you're gonna get a couple of couple of pellets in them, but I haven't found that to be a big problem. It's been years since I've ate a squirrel, but it's been yeah. it wasn't a problem.
0: Well, again, it's I've never had squirrel at all, so it, it's all new news to me. I just find it's like it, I mean, chicken. Yeah <laughs> when I when I went into the uh, the hog hunters group and I. I've been following it probably for a year and just reading stuff periodically, trying to glean a little bit of information as somebody who's not a hunter. And then I went, oh, that dude, why haven't you been asking them to do the podcast? That's like a perfect way of getting to know the hunters and talking issues. But as soon as I went, hey, I'm Robert Gardner. I do a podcast. They were like, see what the game warden is trying to find out what we're doing? Like there was a little (laughs) bit of like weird suspicion. And I'm like, whoa, what did I... (laughs) What did I walk into? And slowly they've they've warmed up to me. But I think somebody in the past has apparently done a podcast and made hunters not look good. Is sort of what they said, and that's not at this stage, especially because of Steve Rennell and Meat Eater. I I have a tendency, maybe a bias, to look at you know uh, hunters as being like stewards of the land, especially when it comes to hogs. Everyone I've talked to so far keeps talking about the connections they have with these farmers and ranchers and how there's this sort of uh, allegiance, if you will. Like, yeah, they want to harvest the hogs, but they're also trying to make sure that they help the farmer and rancher because they want them to want them on their land.
1: Oh, for sure. 100%.
3: You know, and and these guys all you know, go to the same cafes or the same gas stations and sit down and have coffee together. And, you know, a lot of these farmers and ranchers, they talk to each other mm-hmm. and they all complain about the hogs. And once one of them says, well, you know, we've noticed a, a drop in the hog population on our property because we've got so-and-so out there, we've got this out there. Well, then it's funny how your phone number starts getting passed around and you start getting guys contacting you saying, hey, I've got a hell of a hog problem. Can you come over and help me too? Yeah, You know, and which is strange because so many guys, especially when you get on these hunting pages and everybody's like, where can I go? Where can I hunt hogs? You know, how do I get to talk to these landowners? You know, and it's just forming a relationship and it's, it's, it's forming the, a relationship with the right person to get you in contact with other people. Because it's like you said before, so many of these guys have not uh, respected the property and got on these properties and created a mess or left garbage out there, whatever it might be. You know, they'll get out into a, a nice hayfield and drive their truck out there and spin donuts or something and you know, do nothing but do do nothing but piss off the landowners and then they've they've got a sour taste in their mouth. They don't want anybody
1: out on their property again. I'm trying to compare it to what I've seen in Louisiana.
0: And I think there's not only a shift in culture from texas to louisiana but what do you see from uh, are you getting a lot of hunters from out of state
3: yeah it, it's it's funny because just this last month alone we had two different groups from kansas a group from missouri we had a guy come in <clears throat> from florida we've had a couple people come in from california we've got some minnesota guys coming down where else
2: yeah i mean oklahoma, that, oklahoma but that that pretty much i mean they're they want to get a part of this uh, Texas hog thing. Yeah. And you know, the key is is finding people with the property and the access to get them on it.
3: Well, most of these guys don't get to experience this type of hunting because wherever they're at and they're hunting, you know, if they're if they're avid deer hunters, you know, they're they're out, you know, either setting up on a field in a stand, whatever they're doing, and they're sitting there all day long waiting for that opportunity for that one shot on that one animal. And if they get so lucky as to harvest two or three deer you know that's fantastic but when it comes to these pigs to be able to come out and and say well there's no trophy fee no there's no limit no you know and then they can come out and and who knows shoot six eight ten twelve
0: pigs in one night very very different hunting experience what do you what do you notice and this is supremely interesting to me this is like I love food culture, and I came from andouille, boudin, South Louisiana, seafood, chicken, pork, to Central Texas beef, Central Texas barbecue. I was Mm -hmm. like, what's up with this brisket? And you're like, oh, that's what's up with brisket. That's very tasty. (laughs) And you, you start to acclimate. What do you see as the cultural shift in different regions when people come to Texas? When it comes to hunting, that's what I'm interested in.
2: A lot of hunting blends, a lot of it blends, but it's just the style of hunting that we're doing. You know, like Todd said, you go deer hunting, you're not out looking for them. You're pretty much sitting in one spot waiting for them. You know, our style of hunting is we've got UTVs with high seats and we're driving around (laughs) on over 10,000 acres and we're we're actively seeking out these pigs, (laughs) locating them and getting on them. And, you know, these guys, they've got 30 rounds in an AR-15 and they're just cutting loose on these pigs. You don't get to do that anywhere else. Most yeah. states have magazine limits on how much ammo you can carry in your gun. Uh, as opposed to here, man, it is so nice <laughs> to be able to have that much ammo in a gun when you're on a group of, you know, that group of 300 pigs we've seen. Yeah. So you can just do some damage.
0: Is 30 the limit here in Texas?
2: It's not, there's, it's there's, not. there's no limit. Gun gets pretty heavy. You start packing yeah. more ammo in it like that. So you don't want to carry it around.
0: Yeah. I, I've, I've caught just glimpses of this. I, I saw an episode of a uh, mediator with Steve Rannella, and I think they were using rifles to hunt elk somewhere. It might have been Colorado <laughs> or somewhere. And again, yep. it's all new to me, all different species, different areas sure. of the country, different laws. And then Joe Rogan runs off with what looked like in a loincloth with a bow. And I'm like, that is the most archaic. Oh, yeah. (laughs) cannot imagine trying to get close enough to an elk to fling an arrow. I was just like, what? Like, okay, I was with the rifle.
2: (laughs) yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that's a whole different beast. That elk yeah. is a whole different whole different animal.
0: Yeah, some of the, the differences when I say that culturally, I, I think it was also to point out not only to myself but also to listeners the difference in hunting turkeys and I guess calling for them. Right. Sitting in camouflage, hiding. Right. Like
2: supremely them to you.
0: supremely quiet. And then yep. like deer, you know, in maybe in a deer stand you know hunting sitting there hope meditating all day hoping a deer shows up and then hogs seems like <laughs> just madness in comparison
3: well we we get a lot of guys who aren't avid hog hunters maybe they've never even shot a rifle you know no no idea <clears throat> about hog hunting and they'll be a couple of questions i ask us is do we need to wear camo uh, do we need to worry about scent control you know things like that and you know with our buggies you know we've got green lights on them and we're creeping around at a at a snail's pace unless we're blasting from field to field and we're playing the wind so we're always downwind um, you, you don't need camel you don't need any of that it's just a different beast you're hunting at night i've heard all kinds of different things about you know some people will say oh hogs can see great well in, in my experience they can't see where the darn so hogs can't see very well they can smell and hear like nobody's business but as far as seeing you especially at night they're, they're not seeing you. we can get right up on these things and we've had them within you know 20 yards of us and they're just sitting there looking at us like is that something what, what could that be yeah. especially if we put out a call if we put out a hog call and we draw them in they'll come running right in and they're just looking for other pigs and they're standing right in front of us they have no idea so when we get these guys that come in from out of state, a lot of them are questioning the the scent control and the camo, just just like you would if you were, you know, deer hunting, let's say in Missouri or Kansas or something of that nature. Hogs are completely dead. across
0: state lines because you have different jurisdictions. The the states that border Texas, do they have wildly different laws in regards to hunting hogs?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't think like Oklahoma and I'm not sure about Arkansas, but like we were talking to those guys from Missouri and, and, you know, Missouri is quickly turning into a very liberal state and they're more about protecting the hogs that are moving in up there, which is going to get out of control quickly. You know, that there's a lot of restrictions on, on killing wild hogs up in that part of the country. So they, you know, instead of learning, from what we're going through, what states like Florida are going through, where the hogs are just out of control, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna regret that.
3: Well, they did an eradication program up in Kansas a few years back with, uh, with helicopters in southern Kansas and, and pretty much thought that they took care of the hog problem and they have no hunting season. Matter of fact, it's a $5,000 fine to shoot a hog. And now these guys that we've talked to from, from Kansas and Missouri say that, you know, the hogs are moving in and they can't hunt them. They just, they can't hunt them. And farmers right now are seeing, they're they're reaping that right now. They're seeing that. They're seeing the damage that these hogs can do. And, you know, it's like Sean said, you give an inch, they take a mile. And before you know it, I mean, you can be overrun. I mean, imagine having a thousand adult pigs moving into, into your area. And what does that do in a year's time? How many, how many hogs do you then have after a year's time? You know, I mean, oh my gosh, it could, it could get out of control in a hurry.
0: Yeah. Laws and jurisdiction, just little changes in hunting culture from region to region. That stuff is just amazing to me. Even, because because hogs are invasive, we also had a conversation with someone else. Is it chital, which is like an antelope that was imported from India? They were released in, in South Texas, I think, and they're they're an invasive. But my understanding was they're extremely good to eat. Do you know what their like common name is? No. So, some kind of antelope or something in South Texas. They Atlas? Is it, uh, is it Axis. Atlas Axis, Axis deer. Axis. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, axis deer, and yeah, people are saying that the meat is- I got one meat right meat. there.
2: That's what they look like.
0: Yeah, they're yeah. saying that the, the meat is just amazing. And then my assumption was, like, people didn't seem to have a problem with it being invasive. And I'm like, okay, hold on. Let me let me make, clarify. It's not destroying land. And they're like, yeah, it's not causing problem for any other species or farmers. They're just good to you eat. That.
2: Yeah. Then you have the Audads, which is this guy here. I don't know if you can see him from yeah. the, the light, but- yeah. Um, those are, those are also, you know, not native and they are actually destructive. They are pushing all the other animals out. They are reproducing a lot. So, I mean, it's, it's open season on all too. Yeah. We have two
3: groups of guys right now that they want to, they want to try to get through deer season. And then after deer season, they're going to have us come in and uh, help eradicate the all dads on their property. Because the audits have gotten so bad that they've destroyed so much vegetation, and they're pushing a lot of the other animals, the natural native animals out yeah
0: the 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 role that the hunter plays in a sort of ecological balance, I don't know enough about ecology to be able to say what you know wild populations of animals were like before people were on the land hunting the way that we've broken things up with cities and subdivisions and roads and you know animals probably don't respond to that the same you know way that we do and then beyond that understanding that managing the animals and taking some of them allows the rest of the population to potentially be healthier or have more access to food resources looking at the hunter as as harvesting instead of I don't know. There was a sense with people years ago, kind of hippie kids I'd hang out with, like,
3: far, you know, hunters were evil, <laughs> cold blooded, just killers who. Well, what a lot of these guys know. don't understand, I think, is that, you know, when you take years ago and you've got so much land, and as we take more and more land and build more and more subdivisions and these cities grow, that land gets smaller and smaller. So what happens? Now the food starts to shrink. And, you know, imagine if there was no control. No hunting allowed, no control over the population of these animals. How many people would die on roads from hitting these animals? I mean, people hit animals every year. Thousands of people hit, hit deer and, and hogs and elk and bear and everything else. Imagine if there was no controlling that population. Because now we've taken these animals and we've kind of condensed them and pushed them into, into certain areas. Well, not to
2: mention that, the genetics, because, you know, deer will breed brothers and sisters and things, and it will start messing up the genetics of that animal. And you'll actually see it on properties that don't ever get hunted. You'll see a big buck with a massive rack, and then you'll see this guy with two messed up little antlers sticking up, and that's a genetically impaired animal. And if you don't control those, then the entire population starts getting... Uh, messed
0: up yeah uh, well in, in in nature my understanding again is as i'm learning other animals who are hunting are going to take out the old the weak the infirm they take what's easy
1: yep that's correct and the,
0: the strongest healthiest animals continue to breed repopulate and it's like that harvesting cycle is just part of the natural cycle that I think hunters get a chance to sort of insert themselves inside. As much as I'm interested in in Texas culture, I am interested in the ecology and the role that, essentially how humans insert themselves into these populations of animals. You know, I don't know exactly what the range of the bison was before settlers and before they, you know, essentially fenced off the West. But I think a bison used to come down at one point all the way down to the coast. Mm-hmm. And then I've always wondered like what impact those herds had on Texas land. Now that we fenced it off and got cattle, for instance, it's, like, it's such a different way of animal husbandry, different animals and species. I even had to ask in one of the other podcasts, the hogs and their genetic makeup— You know, are they just like pigs that were released from farms? You know, and somebody started talking about Russian, like wild boar genetics and some other things like mixed in.
2: Yeah, there's a lot to it. I mean, there are different breeds of pigs and there are some, you know, domestic pigs that's been released and they've bred with the wild pigs and things like that. So, I mean, I, I'm definitely not a biologist to get into all that, but there are different looking pigs. We see different different styles of pigs out there every time we go out hunting.
3: Yeah, we have seen a lot of uh, pigs that have a lot of that Russian in them. And, you know, that's kind of a controversial deal, too, when guys talk about, you know, you know, Russian boars versus, you know, Razorbacks and this, that, and the other. And we've seen them. We've killed them. I mean, we'll, we'll shoot hogs that look like just your average feral hogs and then, and then we'll end up dropping a pig and he'll have a big old, huge, you know, long snout on him and uh, a five inch Mohawk going down his back. You know I mean? We've, we've seen all different styles and all different kinds of
1: pigs.
0: Yeah. Just so many uh, questions, so much nuance. I'm I'm dying to hear what the conversation is like when I'm not recording a podcast and I'm a couple beers in, <laughs> <laughs> hanging out with Texas guys, talking shop, especially since, for me, as somebody who's not a hunter, I can also tell that a lot of the people who've gotten it, or so far, the ones that I've interviewed, it seems like you have hunting in your families and it's been passed down. It's something you've done since the time you were kids the the thing I did as a kid, I fished, uh, it, that wasn't really in my family, but somehow I picked it up in South Louisiana. We had a pond in our neighborhood, so I was at least exposed to a little bit, but hunting, I think I've only been hunting once. And that was, I think for rabbit in Louisiana at one point.
2: Yeah, that, that's the thing that, I mean, the hunting population of hunters I think is really dying off. I think, uh, you know, a lot of that's not getting passed down to kids, lot more kids today are spending more time on the internet or playing games or whatever instead of getting outside and you know it's it's really sad when you think about it of the direction we're going with that and not having that extra layer of control out there when it comes to people going out and hunting
3: yeah we take out several brand new hunters and and kids and things like that and It's exciting to introduce them to the experience. It really is. I I
0: assume, again, based on my my limited experience, my deep sense, and I started thinking about why I was interested in hunting. And I think some of it for me during COVID, I live in the city in Austin, fairly isolated, even more isolated. My business was transitioning online. I was using the same sort of tech to teach people online. And because in-person classes and in-person clients diminished, I also think that my interest in hunting peaked because I wasn't getting enough guy time. I wasn't getting time to hang out with guys and you know go to the football game or whatever else. So it was like, I wanted to be able to have social contact that felt like it was beneficial. And I think hunting plays that role. In addition to the number of hunters decreasing, I've also heard things about farmers generally because farmers, agribusiness and how things affect small local farms, like farming is declining generally as well as we have larger and larger uh, plots of land that are being dealt with by agribusiness.
2: That's true. I mean, it, it is you know, it, and the farmers that are out there are very protective of what they've got. Yeah, uh, they don't want a bunch of people on their property. They don't want to you know expose their livestock to to uh, anything out there. So it, it, it it's like any other business. You you really got to build the relationships, and once you build the relationships and earn their trust, not demand their trust, but earn it, it makes all the difference in the world. Well, you start talking to a guy who raises beef cows and you talk about,
3: you know, how you're a meat eater and you love eating steak and, and, uh, they'll thank you because they're like, that's our business. I mean, if people don't eat beef, they're not selling beef. And especially like during this COVID, how many people went to, you know, Kroger or Walmart or whatever and saw those shelves being cleared off? Yeah. Well, how many people wish they would have had, you know, a couple hundred pounds of meat in the freezer, whether it be from... You know, commercial raised beef or, uh, hunting.
1: Yeah. What,
0: as we're getting, getting towards the end, wh- what do you wish the public knew more about? What is the thing that you feel like the mass media is just not picking up about hog
3: hunting? The stuff that you wish the public knew? I wish more people would introduce their, their kids and their family members to hunting in general you know just getting out and letting these kids see that there is more to life than video games there is more to it than just uh, you know sitting around on the couch you know get out get out in the in the in the woods in the wilderness and and see what's out there you know hog hunting is great because these people can go out get multiple shot opportunities keep their adrenaline up the excitement the the, the fun of the whole experience it's not like you're taking out a first time hunter saying well buddy we're going to go out to this state land and hopefully we're going to get a deer and you're sitting out there all day long or for two, three, four, five days, and and you don't even see an animal. You know, it's different with hogs. You know, they're going to, they're going to see pigs. They're going to, they're going to get shot opportunities. So I just wish more people would introduce, you know, young hunters to the sport.
2: Yeah. And not just that in the, in the culture we live in today, if you don't talk about it, it's not a problem, right? Yeah. Um, It's not being talked about. No, nobody, nobody truly understands you know, this farmer that's relying on this crop to bring in their yearly salary and to lose $30,000, you know, that's a $30,000 pay cut due to damage from an invasive species. So, you know, I, I don't think that's talked about enough because these farmers work hard out there. Yeah, they're, they're working hard day in, day out, you know, to put food on our tables. And nobody's talking about the impact it's having on them. Yeah, because their costs don't change.
3: No. I mean, they, they've still got to go out there and, and prep that land and seed it and, and, and pay for all that diesel fuel. And I mean, their costs don't change. Yeah, there were there
0: were friends of mine who when I w- were telling him about the podcast and I said, yeah, I got some some hog hunters. And they're like, oh, dude, like they they acted like I ran to the countryside of Texas and found a Republican Trump supporter, gun-toting, chewing guy, you know, and I'm like, these have been some of the friendliest Texans I've run into. Like, I I relate to all the hunters and people I've talked to in the hog group so far, and I think what it is, is it's the divide. And this probably happens across the country, not just in Texas, between the city and the country. Yep. And people in the cities sometimes, I think, based on what I've seen with farm to table movement stuff, I don't think people in the cities, they don't think about where their food comes from. They don't think about the trials and tribulations of a farmer and what they have to deal with with agribusiness or wild hogs on their land or land management. you know. I think a lot of times it's just essentially what you're exposed to. The divide, and I would take it this far, and not to bring up politics, the, the divide between Democrat and Republican, I'm I'm very bipartisan. I'm trying to figure out what's going on so we can all make a better world. And I feel like all of these things actually play together. When I talk to Jeremy, because like, I don't think about it, and he's like, yeah, people die because they run to, in a hog on a road. You know, it's like these cause Dude. city problems.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they sure do. And, you know, one other thing we provide, we, we get those first time hunters, those first time shooters, and they're like, I really want to learn how to process one. I really want to learn out if I ever shoot one, how do I process it? How do I clean it? How do I skin it? Where do I get it from this live animal to meet on my table? And that's something we do well with them. You know, we're like, okay, we'll show you on one. And then the next one, we'll walk you through it. We'll talk you through it. We'll let you get your hands bloody. Yeah. You know, get in there and, and teach them that from life to table, yeah. um, the whole process. And that's, that's priceless. Yeah, It, it was, was priceless. Uh, it was
0: something that I noticed, and this is, this is me, um, working with a farmer who had chickens and we'd process some of his birds. He had some minimal equipment. People who raise chickens eat more eggs. Because you, you you realize, okay, yeah, but, you know, e- economically and then life-wise, there was no glory in it. You know, right. it's, not, it's not just bloodlust. It's like, but I eat chicken, and chicken is good. It's the same thing with hogs. I think that's a beneficial experience, and I was actually happy to hear you guys talk about uh, younger people in particular and exposing them to that because if that is something that's diminishing, I get a, a very deep sense in my years as a cook that people just don't think about where
2: their food comes from. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that, that teaches them the whole process.
0: Cool. Well, you guys, I think we're going to go ahead and shut down. You got, hold on just one second. I'm going to talk to you after I shut down the podcast. Thank you guys, the listeners so much for tuning in. I hope you learned a lot from Todd Olson and Sean Rolf. I hope I said it correctly again. You could uh, find them at portpolice.com and then find them on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> Pork Police is on Facebook and Pork Police TX on Instagram. You guys have a great day, and thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you you for the opportunity.